Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Neil Garfield Show, a presentation sponsored by the Living Lies blog, GTC Honors, LendingLies.com, and the Garfield Firm. Servicing all 50 states and 24 countries with news and analysis about the largest economic crime in human history. This program is for general information only and should not be used as a substitute for legal advice or consultation with a licensed professional. This show is not intended as a solicitation for the engagement of any services. And now, presenting world-renowned author, trial lawyer, CLE lecturer, and court-approved expert witness on securitization of death, Neil Garfield. Well, this may be as close as you can get to a magic bullet. It isn't a magic bullet, but it's close. Get a CPA, but you still need a lawyer. Hi, this is Neil Garfield, and this is Thursday, September 16th, 2021. I'm broadcasting live from Duval County. I wish those observing Yom Kippur a good holiday. An expert witness is only as good as his or her effect on persuading the judge. And no expert is going to say that the loan is unenforceable, nor would any judge listen to an expert who said that. But a certified public accountant can issue an expert opinion that the payment history is not the loan account or even a loan account. Citing to generally accepted accounting principles and the Financial Accounting Standards Board, they can say that the report issued under the name of a purported servicer is not a loan account. It's not a loan account receivable, which is on the accounting ledger of the creditor, because it is not claimed as an asset of the servicer. It's just a report. Only the loan account can show the balance due as claimed by the creditor. The payment history only hints at what might be due from the homeowner if the debt still exists and to the extent that the debt still exists. I think I've hit upon a way to use a a CPA as an expert witness in a highly effective way that would make it more likely for the homeowner to successfully challenge an attempt to enforce the apparent loan with the payment history offered by the foreclosure mill as evidence of the loan account. With no loan account and evidence, there is no case. It's over. My premise is that if the payment history is a report from the servicer, it is by definition not the loan account. It could be used to make entries as a basis to make entries on the loan account with proper backup on the books of the creditor, but it is not the loan account itself. It's just a third-party report. In the securitization arena, all of the documents appear to be facially valid. That means the homeowner loses unless he or she fights back. And that's what happens between 96 and 97% of the time. They leave. They don't do anything to fight back. 
if the homeowner does fight back. There are only two relevant questions to ask in foreclosure litigation. Can the named claimant supply competent proof that it owns the claim, paid for it, and that it has suffered a default resulting in financial damages? The second question is, can the named claimant supply competent proof that they followed the procedures for enforcement required by contract and statute? You see, the issue is not whether they can make the claim. The issue is whether they can prove the claim and their right to receive a a remedy. Those are two different things. Even if they proved the claim, they could not receive a remedy because they did not follow the required procedures of notice, chance to catch up, and all that other stuff. I keep reminding people that if they focus on the documents, they will lose because all, virtually all the documents used in foreclosure today are facially valid. The goal is to strip the documents of their evidentiary value and get them back out of evidence or discounted by the judge. That is litigation. If you must focus on documents, then concentrate on asking for proof of the location and custodian of the loan account on the ledger of the the books of the claimant who has been asserted to be the creditor. Notice I'm using some different terms here. Claimant is not necessarily creditor. And neither one may be the party that paid value for the underlying obligation as required in all states, including the state of Colorado, in all states under the adoption of Uniform Commercial Code Article 9, Section 203. The payment history is not the loan account. You can focus on the money or rather the lack of it. I find that to be more productive. If there is no money, there is no transaction. If there is no transaction, the document is false because it's referring to a transaction. Every time there's a a so-called transfer of the so-called loan, it says for value received. So, for example, if the assignment says that the value was received, you will move far along towards success when you ask the who, what, where, how, and why questions about that transaction was where value was received. But there is a, a midway point that I've brought up before but not fully explained before. For a claimant to establish its case in court seeking foreclosure, it must prove that the loan account exists, that it owns the loan account, and that the loan account reveals all debits and credits to the account. There's only one place where all debits and credits are recorded, and that is on the accounting ledger of some company or entity that claims that it owns the loan paid for it and has suffered a default resulting in financial damages. 
that place is the loan account. Presentation of that loan account in court shows that the claimant did not receive scheduled payments from the home from the the homeowner defendant or uh, or owner under a deed of trust. In all foreclosure cases up through the present where the original lender is the claimant, that's exactly what happens. And there's no defense other than payment, basically, unless you have a bank totally screw up in its procedure. But in foreclosure cases that are allegedly derived from securitization of debt, that is not what happens, ever. They rely instead on the payment history of the self-proclaimed servicer, which is not the loan account receivable owned by the claimant. They don't come into court with the loan account. They come in with the payment history, which is a partial history of some of the activity that the self-proclaimed servicer is claiming was relevant to the loan account receivable. This has never been acknowledged in court or claimed in court by anyone from, as an officer of the so-called claimant, like U.S. Bank as trustee, et cetera, or Bank of New York as trustee, et cetera. the company claiming to be performing servicing functions is nothing more than an aggregate reporter on data reports from third parties. We've seen that when we've analyzed the the financial technology companies, that the company that you think is performing servicing duties is actually not, has nothing to do with the receipt and disbursement of money. But it does perform other functions that under the statute enables the anyone to report themselves as a servicer without technically lying. You don't need to believe it or even understand it. Just ask them direct questions about exactly how the data was produced for their payment history and who it came from. What's the harm? And by the way, that means everything only if you follow up and enforce the demand for that information. Biggest error that I constantly see in the few cases that are litigated and lost is that they basically fire a shotgun at the judge expecting the judge to catch all the pellets and answer every little question that they've raised. The judge is under no obligation to do that. The judge is under an obligation to simply weigh the evidence. And the fact that you raise questions about the evidence is not a challenge to the evidence. The payment history is not the loan account. We know it is not the loan account itself because first, It's not the accounting ledger of the claimant. And second, it doesn't show any disbursements to creditors or claimants. (laughs) My point, as most of you know, for the last 16 years, has been that due to Wall Street alchemy, the loan account is completely extinguished or never even created in the first place. And in its place, 
to preserve the appearance of enforceability, they substitute a servicer instead of a creditor and a report instead of a loan account. So what you've got in every case is you don't see U.S. Bank, you don't see Deutsche Bank, you don't see Bank of New York Mellon. You see a servicer, which enables any of those banks to claim plausible deniability. We didn't know they were saying that, blah, blah, blah. No, we don't actually have that account, et cetera, if it blows up later. And if it doesn't blow up later, they just collect their fee for allowing the use of their name. I don't care if you believe it or not, and neither should you. I'm describing what actually works or could work in the courtroom because I have done it. By the way, here is a plug for my new webinar coming up on Wednesday, September 29th. That's a week from this coming Wednesday. Uh, at 3 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time and noon Pacific Daylight Time. You can attend the live presentation or order the on-demand version. It's sponsored by the American Property Owners Network and approved for CLE credits by the Florida Bar, which in the past has been uh, accepted for credits in 26 states. Um, I don't know of any state where it was rejected, but in 26 states uh, it was accepted. It's called the, the, the webinar is called The Examination and Challenge of Assignments of Mortgage. This is an opportunity for lawyers to learn successful techniques and tactics and earn CLE credits that have already been approved. Florida lawyers get 2.5 credits. And homeowners can gain knowledge of the real issues facing lawyers and what knowledge and skills are actually required to win these cases. If you're interested in signing up for the webinar or finding out more information, just go to the blog, livinglies.me, and uh, look it up. You'll see it in the sidebar. Nobody ever shows up from the claimant to produce the actual ledger entries like they do in all other foreclosures. And in the past, the absence of such a person would have resulted, even in an uncontested foreclosure, it would have resulted in the lawyer being thrown out of court. The court might not initially dismiss the whole case, but if the lawyer never came back with the actual uh, ledger and a person to testify as custodian to provide the foundation for accepting the report as the actual ledger for the lender or successor lender, then it would get dismissed. Now, under kind of mission creep, that assessment of whether or not we actually have the claimant in court and whether the, the claim is based upon the claimant's ledger, that's left to the end of the case. So it's only the homeowners who have the uh, uh, time, energy, and money to litigate to the end of the case when the court says there was no case. 
That should have been done and always was done by the judge up front, requiring no litigation at all from the homeowner. Now, only the homeowners who have money to defend can get to that point. The contract witness who appears in court is only there on behalf of a company claiming to have servicing rights. But as we have seen, and I've, as I've reported on my blog, it is not performing uh, servicing functions as you're ordinarily thinking about it. This presents an opportunity to challenge the opposition and the court on a key bit of evidence law. The typical case against the homeowner involves the participation of a company claiming to be the servicer. While the company might perform certain functions of the statutory definitions in the regulation of services, it is actually very rare that the servicer whose name you know is the recipient of money paid by you or any other homeowner, and it is even more rare, in fact, I think non-existent, that that company claiming to be a servicer disperses any payments to any um, people who are creditors, uh, least of all the party named in the foreclosure action as the claimant. But since these companies perform some functions like telephone and at least allowing someone to use their name in correspondence, they are deemed to be services under the statute for purposes of regulation. So anyone can refer to those companies as a servicer without lying, but it's misleading because when you hear the word servicing, you think that they are handling and accounting for the receipt and disbursement of funds. They do none of that. And I know... Some people have just enough knowledge to get themselves in trouble. The fact that you make a check out to Aquin does not mean that Aquin deposited the, the money or has any control over it. But the implication that they perform actual functions relating to receipt and distributions of payment, that's another story. Nobody ever says that the servicer is receiving the money and distributing payments. Nobody ever says that except the homeowner or an inexperienced lawyer for the homeowner. And as soon as you do that, you have basically waived every argument you've got that this is not a valid foreclosure. As soon as they do that, the reports are evidence and the case is essentially over with and a stressed judge just looking to get it over with so he can render the foreclosure judgment, waits it out so he can give the appearance of due process. Because the payment history is only a partial record, it might be kept out of evidence altogether by objecting to the document as being only a partial statement of what is implied but not asserted to be on the accounting ledgers of the claimant. What I mean by that is it's implied that this is part of the loan account, 
but it's never stated. It doesn't say anywhere on the payment history, and nor will the robo-witness testify that this is part of the accounting ledgers of the claimant. Again, for plausible deniability. Again, to mislead the court. Again, to mislead you. Again, to mislead your lawyer. Since there is no officer present for, say, U.S. Bank as trustee, etc., there is no testimony providing foundation for allowing the payment history in as evidence of the loan account. Only someone from U.S. Bank can do that. And by the way, there never will be an officer of U.S. Bank present because they never agreed to provide such a witness for enforcement of these claimed loans. And you might be able to get the payment history back out of evidence on a motion to strike once you have successfully attacked the source. So in discovery or cross-examination, if you can reveal the lack of foundation for the truth of the matter implied, if not asserted, that the company handles receipts and disbursement, then the payment history could be struck from evidence altogether. Because if they're not handling payments and receipt, uh, payment receipts and making disbursements, then they can't account for either one. If they're not party to the transaction in which the money was received or dispersed, then any record they make is just based on the hearsay report of whoever did get the money. But even if the payment history produced by a representative of the servicer is authentic, it might still be barred or struck from evidence. This is why people hate lawyers, but it's true. If you base this on the expert opinion of a certified public accountant, the opinion of the CPA would simply be that it is impossible to determine the balance of the loan from the payment history, from the report of the payment history. Without looking at the accounting ledger of the creditor, the payment history is merely a recitation of activity during the time that the alleged loan was serviced. And it may not be a first-hand recitation. It might be a report on a report on a report. And without knowing the balance on the loan account kept by the claimant in foreclosure, it is impossible to determine if there is a claim of default or whether the claim is correctly represented by the payment history. The CPA opinion could go on to say that at best, the balance of the alleged loan account as claimed by the company that claims to be the servicer is only an estimate and it's not final until the creditor makes it final. And typically there is no representative of the company claiming to be a servicer that can say that they have ever seen the accounting ledger of the creditor or even that they know who the creditor is. So the testimony of the representative of the servicer would essentially be opinion testimony based on hearsay consisting of estimates done by others or done on computers 
as a result of algorithms that were input by others, and who knows who they were working for. The court has no way of knowing what is on the accounting ledger of the creditor. Therefore, the court may not render judgment based upon the presumed content of the ledger that may or may not exist. And if the creditor is named as a bank, not on its own behalf, but as trustee of a trust, then the ledger must be an accounting ledger maintained by the bank on behalf of a real trust. Bill Padalo keeps reminding me that the PSA refers to a trust agreement. Dan Edstrom has pointed this out, too, uh, or, or exhibits that don't exist. So, for example, it'll, it'll refer very specifically to a trust agreement in the state of Delaware, blah, 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 and you go to Delaware, there is no trust agreement. It refers to exhibits. There are no exhibits. Typical exhibit that's missing from the PSA, the mortgage loan schedule. I'd say that's a material omission. So neither the PSA, which only refers to future events, not to current or past events, nor any of these other documents actually say anything. And none of them are complete. You have to remember to look for what's not there, not just for what is there. If the trust agreement does not exist, then the trust does not exist. And everyone about the tr- everything about the trust is not relevant and may not be considered by the court in evidence. So if a trust has been named as claimant, there is no claim to litigate. Typically, no such accounting ledger exists at the bank whose name has been used in vain to claim that it is trustee of a mostly non-existing trust. No loan account appears on the records of U.S. Bank as trustee because if the, even if the trust exists, which it probably doesn't, it has never paid value in exchange for legal ownership of the underlying alleged obligation of the homeowner. It's simple accounting to say that there is no allowable legal accounting entry to reflect a payment that did not occur, and thus the establishment of an asset that can't possibly exist. If you didn't pay for it, it's not on your balance sheet. If you add the fact that every contract with every investor who purchases the certificate is a creditor of an investment bank and not of any homeowner, and that the terms of payment to the investor from the investment bank are different from the terms of payment scheduled from the homeowner, then the CPA would be able to give complete assurance of his or her expert opinion that the creditor is unknown. The CPA could go on to say that without identification of the creditor, there could be no identification of the accounting ledger showing the balance of the alleged loan account. The practice hint here is that if the payment history is attached to any filing, whether it's the complaint or anything else, court or in response to to your qualified written request or your debt validation letter, you should attack it. If it's a filing in court, including the initial complaint in judicial states, then a motion to strike 
might be a proper response. I also think that putting the substitute trustee, which is a misnomer in the non-judicial states, on notice that they're they're not proceeding under uh, the authority of a, ben a true beneficiary or any beneficiary. As with all motions, remember to get a hearing and a court reporter and file a memorandum of law. That's it for tonight, folks. Thanks for joining me. See you next week. The opinions expressed on The Neil Garfield Show are those of its hosts and should not be ascribed to any other persons or entities. For more information about Neil, the blog, or upcoming seminars, please visit livinglies.me. Give us a call at 954-451-1230 or send an email to n-e-i-l-f-g-a-r-f-i-e-l-d at hotmail.com. Thank you for listening to The Neil Garfield Show. If the information has helped you, consider making a donation by visiting livinglies.me.